0: Greetings and thank you for joining us on Christian Reconstruction Radio for this time we shall have together. I am again your host, J.S. Lowther, and this is Sola Scriptura, promoting the law and the gospel to every living creature with an ardent and firm desire to show the perfection of the law of God in every area of life. All to the glory of God and praise His only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. the moment to decide in the strife of truth with falsehood for the good or evil side some great cause some great decision offering each the bloom or blight and the choice goes by forever twixt that darkness and that light then decide with truth is noble, when we share her wretched crust. Ere her cause bring fame and profit, and tis prosperous to be just. Then it is the brave man chooses, while the coward stands aside. Till the multitude make virtue of the faith they had denied. By the light of burning martyrs, Christ thy bleeding feet we track, toiling up new calvaries ever, with the cross that turns not back. New occasions teach new duties, time makes ancient good uncouth. They must upward, still and onward, who would keep a breast of truth. Though the cause of evil prosper, yet the truth alone is strong. Though her portion be the scaffold, and upon the throne be wrong, yet that scaffold sways the future, and behind the dim unknown, standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch above his own. So the words of once to every man and nation is definitely a thing that we can reflect on, think about, and change our lives accordingly on account of. Many people sing songs like this and have for hundreds of years now. This tune particularly being written in 1845, meaning that it is over 100 years old and in just uh, 20 5 more years it will be 24 more years it will be um, 200 years old meaning our people have been singing this for some time now or at least reciting its words if you notice what it says here it says every man and nation has a moment they're going to have to decide in that there is a strife that's a fight between truth and falsehood everyone's engaged in it every generation and it's going to go forever. We have to choose between good and evil because there's always in every generation some great cause, some great decision that we have to choose from. And that cho- choice goes by forever between darkness and light. I particularly like the part of this song. I actually like the whole, all of it, but I particularly am encouraged by... The third verse, by the light of burning martyrs, Christ, thy bleeding feet we track, toiling up new calvaries ever with the cross that turns not back, telling us new occasions, teach us our new duties. It also tells us this, that over the passing of time, for the passing of time, ancient goods become uncouth, But they must upward, still and onward, who would keep the breast of truth. It also reminds us that God is constantly watching behind the uh, veiled shadows of time, that he is seeing what is going on in the future, not only in the present. And he knows exactly how to keep watch over his own. And that is exactly what he is doing. We sing psalms for worship, um, for religious worship during holy convocations, but we do occasionally sing um, songs written by men uh, that are of this nature. And um, this is one that I've caused my children to memorize and caused them to sing together. And it reminded them whenever we have... um, Uh, my children call me Abba, which is Hebrew for father, um, only because my first daughter uh, could say Abba and Mama, but she couldn't say father and mother, nor could she say daddy for some reason. And so I I stuck with it being that I am uh, engaged in Greek and Hebrew. So uh, I found it to be suiting. But whenever we have Abba reading time, uh, in the evening sometime, especially in the winters, we have more of it. I like to read Fox's book of martyrs and uh, remind my children that there has always been a choice, no matter what generation we live in, to have to choose how we are going to stand up for Christ and his kingdom. And last, uh Broadcast two weeks ago, I had kind of done an improv uh, podcast to cause us to think about what our duty is at this time and this nation that we live in, um, in this country that we live in, because we have a duty as the Christian church, regardless of our stripe and opinion, to stand up and proclaim the truths of the Christian faith in a dark world. And that has been a choice that has had to be made every generation as once to every man and nation. And as James Russell Lowell reminds us in that song, that we are the salt of the earth, as Christ says, And that if the salt loses its savor, meaning the salt is not salty, or if the light can no longer light up the world, it's worthless and it's good for nothing. But to be, in the case of salt, trodden under the foot of men, or it is like a light put under a bushel that eventually goes out, except for maybe if the bushel be made of flammable material, then perhaps we could have an even brighter light and burn the house down. But that's probably not what's insinuated in the parable of Jesus whenever he teaches us those things in Matthew chapter 5. And so one of the things that uh, I've been thinking about more and more over the course of these last two weeks is wondering how many Christians – are realizing that we are in that time to make a choice. Christians have been blessed for a very long time with the ability to speak freely on their faith. Uh, Even heretical Christians and Christians who have absolutely different opinions from the mainstream had the freedom and have the freedom to propagate what it is they believed was true, or hopefully believed what was true, what they were saying was true, whether right or wrong. And that while uh, we all may not agree, we agreed for a period of time that that which was stated in the First Amendment of the United States Constitution, that we would have a freedom of speech, that we would have the ability to assemble and that that could not be infringed upon by government. It's not an agreement that we made necessarily. It was a right retained and promoted, if one understands the nature of the Constitution of the United States and how it was written, that it's a limited powers document, meaning that it limits government's ability to do whatever is named in that document, and then it, it authorizes the organization of government under its particular model. We may or may not agree with that model. That's fine. That's what, um, that's what the ability to amend is all about. And that amendment is placed there to make sure that we have the ability to propagate the gospel and also that while the government is disallowed from promoting one Religion, as it calls it, which should be understood as a denomination as the word religion back in the uh, days that the Constitution would have been written in, did not necessarily always include other religions like Muslims or Buddhists or Jews or what have you, um, especially not Satanists and those types, but that a religion was particularly one's – both their specific creed so to speak wherein we have the meaning of the word religion meaning um, one who takes a a legos a, um, a re-assignment of a uh, legos or, uh, which would be related to the word for um, logic or logos which is word so in actually making a proclamation, making a word to reaffirm an oath to a particular religion and or or particular faith, I should say, um, a line of doctrine, so to speak. And while we can't prove that because the Constitution did not have written in it um, enough Christian character that we can boldly assert it, now we can with the Bill of Rights, it seems pretty obvious we should be able to do that, um, but, and, you know, having to use external writings to back that up isn't the way it should be done. It it should, quite frankly, be written directly in there, and that, that's a change that we should have um, had forwarded. But I don't know if the men who were involved at the time, um, even for the first hundred years of the, the Constitution's existence, would have even thought that, Um, Western civilization, European civilization, was ever going to be threatened at all by the idea of silencing religion altogether. And so that may be a fault on their behalf, and I'm sure it is, whenever you have considered that there is evil in men, and men are constantly evil, and that men revert to evil, that because of their Um, natural ability to desire death um, because that is what man is, what he is prone to. Once you recognize that, which may have been the major failure of the majority of the people involved in organizing the government of the United States at the time, they were just simply not pressing that issue enough. Once you recognize that, however, you realize there has to be built into the documents that you are going to promote as the way to order government a way to lead people back to Scripture, to the law and the gospel. And so we have a task before us, Christians, that we have been allowed to promote even under the government system that we have. We have had the freedoms and the abilities to promote the truth and to watch the truth Take over because it's true. Okay. Because it's true, it's able to defend itself. And quite frankly, we just haven't used that um, tactic enough. We put too much trust, uh, apparently, in our own selves. And sadly, I think we've actually put too much focus on the pleasures of the world and on the things of this world that we desire more than on the things of God and utilizing the chink in the armor of the constitution that is not godly um, in its makeup, but it could have been used that way, most definitely to the better end. And so now we stand here facing the grim unknown. We don't know exactly exactly. what the future holds for Christians, and we most most inevitably are going to be looking at a time of persecution once again. Now, I can't say who is a real Christian, who's not. Nobody can. That's not right for us to make those assumptions and to um, say such things. But I believe the scripture teaches us that the perseverance of the, st- of the saints is best seen under persecution. And the martyrs are great examples of this. We have myriads of uh, documentation of martyrs of the faith of Jesus for thousands of years now in our possession. Many stories that come down to us in history— From different times of persecution and we don't always see the best stories painted the best pictures painted for us um, about these brave men and so you may think that if a Christian were going to write a story about Christians that were brave he would make those Christians the pinnacle of perfection and we don't find that a lot of times as a matter of fact the only thing we can say about the majority, if not all, of the martyrs that we find in Fox's book and other sources, such as Eusebius and, and other church historians, Antiochian fathers and things like that, is one thing is that they all were willing to die when the time came for the name of Jesus Christ and for the truth of his word. And while we definitely wouldn't agree with all of these men, one of the things that we definitely would agree with is that if you felt the saving power of Jesus Christ over your life, you have estimated it, you have weighed it in your mind and in your heart and your soul, and you have made the full understanding that this gospel, this good news, is more important than life itself. And that you're willing to die because eternity is waiting for you on the other side and there is absolutely no reason to stay silent. Uh, One of my favorite stories that's probably a little bit more glorious um, in the end of it is Paul Craw, the story of Paul Craw, who was more or less a reformation, a a pre-reformation martyr. Um, He was actually a Bohemian or a Czech, Um, so he traveled a great distance to be with the Wycliffeites who were preaching in Scotland. The Wycliffeites were uh, English or British um, followers of um, John Wycliffe, who is the one we can thank for translating the Latin Vulgate, which was uh, all Latin, no English in it at all, into a English Bible and it was not direct, directly translated from Hebrew or Greek. Wycliffe, I don't believe, could read Hebrew. Uh, I'm not sure if he could read Greek either. Um, he may have a little bit, but anyhow, he did what he thought was best, which was contrary to that which the authorities of the day under the papist, uh, Roman Catholic-dominated continent of Europe, Allowed him to do, and that was to make a truly vulgar Bible in the common people's tongue. The word Vulgate is where we get the word vulgar um, from, and it meant at the time it was translated by Jerome around 450 AD that it was the vernacular of the people. Many people in Europe and North Africa um, in the Middle East spoke Latin after they spoke Koine Greek, they spoke Latin. And so because more people spoke Latin on account of the dominion and dominance of the um, Roman Empire, the Greek and Hebrew scriptures were translated by works of many men, but Jerome we can accredit for sure, uh, into Latin so everyone could read it in the Roman Empire. And then what had happened is Roman or Latin – became the language more of the upper class. The common people retained the speaking of their own languages, such as English, which wasn't anything like what we think of it as now, or a Germanic tongue or whatever it may be. And so uh, eventually the common people couldn't read the Bible because they couldn't read Latin. And so then it became the priest's language to read Latin in the upper Um, class that could read the Bible. So John Wycliffe and the Wycliffeites began to read the Bible for themselves, Wycliffe being a trained man, a knowledgeable man, a very educated man. And he discovered salvation by grace through faith, which um, we could say is the Reformed doctrine. And so he pretty much discovered that while he didn't shut off all of his papistic Ideas. So, anyhow, to Paul Craw, Paul Craw came all the way across from Bohemia um, near Germany and uh, Czechoslovakia, modern day, and came to Scotland to preach salvation by grace through faith and to support the teaching of Wycliffe. And uh, he was eventually arrested. Won't go into too much detail about him. He was eventually arrested for his preaching, and the man just wouldn't shut up. He saw his duty before him, and it was to preach the gospel, and he was going to preach it. And now, <clears throat> I'm going to say something that's going to shock you, but keep listening. Um, Paul Craw had a brass ball. Okay? Paul Craw, he didn't have brass balls. He had a brass bowl. And I believe the vulgar, pun intended, statement that people use comes from Paul Craw, while it's lost its meaning. On the way to marching, to being burned at the stake, Paul Craw would not stop preaching. That's how brave he was. And he wouldn't shut up, though they wanted him to shut up. They couldn't stop him. And so what they had done, what one of the men had done who was leading him to be burned to death had done is they found a brass ball and they stuffed it in his mouth, I assume shattering his teeth along the way, so that he could no longer preach anymore, so he couldn't open his mouth. And so the next time you hear somebody vulgarly say, That's, that guy got brass balls, meaning he's brave, I'm going to give you this bit of historical martyr history to share. Paul Craw, you just remember that. The first man who had a brass ball got that brass ball because he wouldn't shut up. It had nothing to do with his genitalia. It had everything to do with the fact that he would not shut his mouth in proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that the Reformed doctrine was going to go out of his mouth unless they made him stop. And so after... They stuffed this brass bowl in his mouth and marched him to the pyre. He then was burned to death for his faith. And so why do I bring this up? Well, Paul Craw had a mission, and his mission was to preach. He saw that there was a time and a place and that he was going to open his mouth boldly. You can do the same thing Paul Craw did that got the brass bowl stuffed into his mouth, breaking out his teeth, and then him burned alive. Right now, freely. You can get yelled at by people. You can get buffeted, smacked, spit on, you know, pushed, whatever. But you can go into public and you can do exactly what Paul Craw did and not get martyred for it right now. But that time is coming to an end. If we lose the freedom of speech to do this, which, yes, the wicked have exploited into meaning you can have pornography and the wicked have exploited into meaning you can uh, have pro-abortion billboards and the wicked have exploited to preach against God, it is because we have not met them with force of words and ideas and messages and with Christian financing and funding backing it up that we are failing. It's not because we can't. At least it wasn't because we can't. And so it is a commandment for us to be bold and to have the name of Jesus Christ on our lips at this time. It's a commandment for us to be that Person And like I said, I can't say who's saved and who's not and that sort of thing, and I don't care to. It's not my place to judge that, and I'm certainly glad of it. But I will say this. If you will not stand up in a world that allows you to promote the law and the gospel, you will not do it under persecution either. There's another story that I think of. Where we have a more inglorious story of of uh Saint Alban that comes to my mind today in sharing and uh the story is basically of the saint coming to uh, the house of a heathen and because of his good reputation in Britain, him being taken in and protected, well, when the government finally found out that. Alban was staying with this heathen. He was a pagan. He didn't believe in God. They came to his house. But in the short period of time Alban was there at this unnamed pagan's house, who was no longer a pagan by the time the authorities knocked at the door to find Alban. This man turned himself in in place of Alban, in place of Saint Alban. And he was willing to die in place of him because he thought Albin was more um, valuable to the preaching of the gospel than he would be, for instance, as a pagan, because he was just newly converted. He knew very little. He knew nothing at all except for the grace that came to him through the faith that he placed in Jesus Christ. And so, because he knew that Alban was a learned man and able to teach as he taught him, it would be better if he would die in the place of Alban and say he were him than for Alban to die. Well, eventually it was discovered that this man was not Alban and that they went back and they found him. So they got Alban and they got the pagan, former pagan now the new Christian convert, and they sentence him to be, I believe, beheaded. And on the way, they witness to the jailer, the man who is uh, taking them to be beheaded. And by the time they get to the destination of transport, where they're being transported to, to be executed, They get before the tribunal, the judge, whatever it was, and uh, the transporting guard who was with Albin and the newly transformed Christian witnessed to the jailer enough truth that he fell on his knees and said to the judge, we'll call him, that he wished to die in place of the other two. Now it was only hours that had passed Most likely maybe it was a day Maybe it was two The point of the matter is Is that Albin didn't shut his mouth The newly converted Christian Didn't shut his mouth Now the jailer won't shut his mouth And of course As justice goes Quote unquote justice Goes in the world that cannot hear And love Christ The Judge executed all three of them And let none of them live For all being Christians But that's not really a glorious story You know when you hear it You want to hear about acts of Glorious deeds and And fame and things that are noteworthy You know stuff that you can write in a book And make your heart thump With the desire to go and sacrifice Yourself on the battlefield Of Of honor that's not what we get out of some of these stories that come out of Christian history. We don't get them because the cross of Christ is foolishness to the world. And very few people in this world, though they may enjoy the country club, the clubhouse of the church that meets on Sundays or Saturdays for some people or whatever day it meets it doesn't matter it doesn't matter how it's reckoned. Some people enjoy that friendly Christian country club mentality. it's a good club to go to, watch on Facebook, YouTube, listen to on Christian Reconstruction radio could be part of this club but the real test is always found when a person has to lay down their life for that thing that's so real to them that it's more real than life itself. The stories of martyrs like this always bring to my mind Psalm 63, which I had read many times and it was through singing it and the words of hearing it in song that it actually clicked with me, you know, it actually made impact on me, what it was saying. But very much like what we're talking about, David says in Psalm 63:1, "O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsts for thee, my flesh longs for thee, in a dry and thirsty land where no, no water is. To see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary, Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. Because thou hast been my help, therefore, in the shadow of thy wings, I will rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholds me. And so, you know, the verse out of Psalm 63 that I think of is Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. What loving kindness could David possibly be talking about other than the loving kindness of salvation? What loving kindness could David possibly be speaking of with his lips that he praises God with? That he says as long as he lives, he will bless him and lift up his hands in his name and be satisfied. Though the land he lives in is dry and thirsty, there's no water there, he desires be with God. That's a psalm that's I think very touching to me. There's a few other psalms that I think of that comes to my mind that really makes impact of that as well. Namely, I would say it would be Psalm 73 which also in singing and hearing in song was brought to my attention. David says, I'm going to start at verse 19 of Psalm 73. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They're utterly consumed with terror as a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when thou awakes, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reins. He was pricked in his heart. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsels and afterward receive me to glory. And he asked this question. This is the the verse that did it. Whom have I in heaven but thee? There is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh, my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord Yahweh, that I may declare all thy works. And so that's kind of the thrust of this podcast I'm going to put together for everyone today. It's kind of a thought based on once to every man and nation comes the moment to decide and I want to ask this question for any of my listeners out there and for anybody new to hearing this. Who do you have in heaven but God? Who do you have in heaven but him? Did you know that there is nothing on earth to be desired besides him, besides God? In heaven and in earth, there's nothing else. Your flesh and your heart is going to fail. You will die one day like a man. You are a man. You will die like a beast. Your flesh is a beast. And lest God is the strength of your heart and your portion forever, you will perish. Because that means you have gone whoring from God. It's good then for you to draw near to God and put your trust in him then declare, speak boldly all of his works. It says in Psalm 73, that Yahweh, the Lord, will guide us with his counsel and then afterwards receive us into glory. Are you being guided by his counsel? That's where the law comes in. That's where sola scriptura focuses. But sola scriptura means nothing without God's glory alone. Okay, Without everything done to the glory of God, praise to his only begotten son as we start every episode with, nothing in the law of God makes a difference. Until a person realizes and makes this connection, until your heart and reins is pricked, as in Acts chapter 2, until that pricking takes place, that you have nothing in heaven but God. It's not about your family members that are going to die or have died so that you can see them later. For all you know, they may not make it into the afterlife. Until you realize that on earth, everything here, the lust of your eyes, the desire of all that you have is vanity and that actually in life all you really have is God. Until you realize that your flesh and your heart will fail, you will die like a man. You came into this world, you will leave it. It's appointed unto man, wants to die, and then comes the judgment, says the book of Hebrews. Your flesh and your heart will fail. God must be the strength of your heart if you're going to have a portion in forever. Okay? Because all those who are far from God will perish and die. They will be destroyed. They will be accounted as harlots, as whores, from the only one that loves them. Therefore, it is good for you to draw to God, to put your trust in the Lord Yahweh, declare his works. And so we live in a time where we have to be bold, We live in a time where boldness and understanding is at a loss. The scriptures tells us that it is because of the precepts of God's law that we can be made wise, more wise than even the ancients who were before us. Psalm 119 tells us that. And if we forsake that, we forsake wisdom. We forsake the law and the precept of God. Focusing on the small details of the law of God, we forsake wisdom. And at the time that we live in right now, in 2020, I'd like to say common sense has been abandoned. But the truth is, is there is no such thing as common sense, regardless of what Voltaire said. There is nothing common to men that is sensible. And right now is a great time for us to consider that. It's a great time to consider that because what we see throughout the annals of history is that the manners and customs of a people are based on themselves. And that there is no absolute truth in the manners and customs of people alone, save one, save one. And that one thing is the truth that God expresses to all of us in creation. What he expresses to us is his Godhead, and his power and his wrath revealed from heaven. Those three things, his Godhead as creator, his power over the world, and his wrath upon the children of disobedience. Those three things all men universally recognize and fear. All creatures may even recognize it and fear it. It's the um, expectation earnest expectation of the creature that waits upon the revealing of the sons of God, the book of Romans tells us. And so perhaps even the creatures understand this as they have been made subject to vanity, to emptiness. And so in being subjected to it and in the hope of something better, it falls upon the sons of God those who have had Christ revealed in them to show the world how to understand those three truths that they have been presented with. And those three truths are only best understood through and by the law of God that kindles a fire that can destroy by the wrath of God and then is put out by the grace of God through the gospel. And so unfortunately, so many Christians in our modern day, those who have the name of Christ on their lips, they hate the idea of theonomy. They hate the idea of the law of God. And so they don't couple the law of God with the gospel. They just simply teach an all-loving Jesus, but they will not fortify the love of God with the wrath of God to show you why you need saved from the wrath that is to come, which is the nature of salvation. But that's our task that's before us. That is the message that the martyr is killed for. That is the message that speaks to the heart of one who is newly attuned to the grace of God. That's something that we should all consider we oftentimes go deep into the theology of covenants and the theology of this and that. And I, and I love theology. It's one of my favorite pastimes. I'm one of those very boring people um, that don't have a whole lot of hobbies in my life. I work, I minister, and I spend lots of time reading and listening to theology. I enjoy it. I love it. I'm not saying I have it all. Right, I'm just saying I enjoy learning what other people believe and understand and where it comes from, and I enjoy perfecting and changing my own theology to meet what the Bible is revealed. And so, you know, we have a a, a time sometimes of passing over the simplest parts of something before um, we move on to the greater with people. And so in talking about God's revelation to man, which we would most people have called presuppositional apologetics or presuppositional theology, the idea that man and beast consciously understands God's Godhead, Yahweh's Godhead, his eternality, um, his power, and his wrath, we have to also understand that in understanding the wrath of God, you understand God is angry. And therefore, we have great sermons, which I would recommend anyone who is um, new to, to reform theology in general and understanding the law and the gospel to listen to Jonathan Edwards' sermon, if you can find an audio copy of it or, or maybe read it, um, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And um, I think you'll, you'll understand some of the message a little bit clearer. But what we pass over oftentimes is, for instance, you know, when we read the New Covenant and we have this promise that God is going to write his law in our heart, and our mind, he will be our God, we will be his people we don't realize that the initial impact of that um, covenant is the wrath of God. That's what's revealed to us. Some people recognize wrath, like, for instance, they recognize death and disease and, and destruction and, and things like that. They will die. That's, that's the nature of, of the psalm we we're talking about. Their flesh is going to fail. They recognize death, but they don't see that there is a portion in forever. The new covenant offers the Christian the understanding of God's law written on the heart in his covenant people to reveal God's wrath and what he's angry about and why he's going to punish his people, why he's going to punish the world. And so the very first thing we should understand is sin. The law teaches sin. Because the law teaches sin, it teaches what God hates. It teaches us the nature of God. And the law also teaches us how to be less sinner and to be more righteous by focusing on it. And right now in this world, we have the ability to proclaim that easily. But before we get into the betterments of society and how we can make society a better society, we have to first cross the bridge of condemning society by preaching the gospel. See, there's this natural thing that happens, which is the reason why things always escalate towards violence when Christians start to preach the gospel. We think if you were a Christian, we think, well, we should be able to just preach you know Jesus's love for his people and no one's going to be offended by that. But see, with bringing the cross, you have to bring why the cross had to come. By bringing the sacrifice of Christ for sin, you have to point out someone's sin and when a person is too proud, or angry about the fact that they are a sinner. They may even blame God for it. They may say, well, God made me this way, therefore he must not care. You are condemning a person's sin by telling them they need a savior. But that is the simplicity of what the gospel does by simply preaching that a person needs to be saved to inherit eternal life, to have a portion in forever, After their flesh fails, you have to then preach the message of the Savior. That preaches the message of what they're being saved from. That preaches the message of sin. Now, sure, once that's accepted, we can move on. And and, uh, every man can say to his brother, according to what Hebrews chapter 8 and Jeremiah 31 tells us, every man can say to his brother, know the Lord, And they won't have to do it because all will know the Lord from the least to the greatest. They won't even have to say that anymore. The simplicity of knowing the Lord. And then we can move on to what is that law that has convicted our hearts that we're sinners? What's it say? And we go to the word of God, the written word, the letter of the law, and we read it. And it reveals to us our fallen nature and how far we have fallen from the paths of Of God. And how much we have missed the mark. How much the witness is lacking in us that we are made in the image of God because of total depravity. And well, our time has come, Christians. I know I don't reach a big enough crowd to make a proclamation like this and to hope it goes out into all the world and meets the ears of the people and for them to respond. But who knows? Stranger things have been known to happen. But here's what I want to say. Call your missionaries home. Call your missionaries home, churches, ministries. Call... Your missionaries back from the mission field of the third world country that you have sent them to to preach the gospel and put them in America on the streets of America and start attempting to save the country that has given you over the last 200 years, moving on to 300 years. They have given you the most ability to preach and to change, and you have spurned it. Call your missionaries home and become a missionary yourself. Start preaching the gospel openly and publicly. Start creating tracks. Start creating things for the American public, not for the third world right now. Preach to your neighbors. Talk to your neighbors about the gospel whenever you get a chance. Talk to them about the law of God. Tell them why they need a Savior. And once they're convicted, tell them about the better way that the law teaches us to live in a society where we could better ourselves, where we could better the world that we live in. We need to start learning how to use that tool that we have in, in the United States before it's gone, and we need to particularly start talking about the basics again. I'm not saying that we're not going to talk about in-depth law of God studies, which is, is, a, is a real treat for me. Um, anybody who listens to my Bible studies that uh, I teach weekly, um, which are also available online through renewedcovenantministry.com knows that I like to spend a a lot of time uh, taking my time exegetically going through the Bible and um, exposing the text for what it says. But um, there is a simplicity of the gospel that we need to get back to as Christians, which at one time most all Christians agreed on, regardless of their religious sect regardless of differences in worship and mode that they may have looked at. They agreed upon that one saving power of grace that came through faith, even though they may have understood that subtly differently as far as how it's communicated by the Holy Spirit. And so we need to get back to this. In reality, we really do. And uh, we need to realize that when we have a chance in sharing the gospel that we have a chance to open eyes to the wrath of God and why it is being visited upon the sons of men right now, why it is being visited upon America. And then as that develops and as the questions should start to become more and more asked, especially now as we see the old guard, we see the, Traditionalism of the last thousand years peeling away and just disappearing before our eyes and being lost in the ether. We're giving, um, we are given, I should say, a chance to share the law more fully as the culture in which Christians should live under, which many theonomists before us have promoted and which we should be actively involved in promoting and having full assurance of the faith in promoting and have maybe more boldness now as we see a lot of that um, traditionalism and traditional disdain that had developed um, for various reasons uh, towards the law of God become confused, confounded, and then destroyed because of its inability to support itself. But all that starts with us sharing the gospel that martyr after martyr was killed for and that a man who could be convicted for just a day or hours or minutes, if he were truly touched by that grace that gave him the hope and eternal life that knows when his flesh fails, that the Lord would be his portion forever, that 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 impact, that click took place, that it was as real as anything he'd ever experienced, maybe more real than anything he had ever felt in his life. We could be instrumental in um, helping that decision get made. We could be instrumental and doing that. And so. Once to every man and nation does come a moment to decide, and it has to start with men before it moves on to nations and the balls in your court and by me sharing this information with you, I have just made you um accountable for the truth that I have given you out of the word of God and out of the history of the martyrs for you to choose what it is that you're going to do with it. The next time you shut your mouth or have the option to shut your mouth and just go on peaceably uh, throughout the day in this world that you are seeing quickly fall apart. This choice isn't left to the president or who's going to be president. This choice is not left to armies. This choice is not left to policemen or sheriff's departments. This choice is left to Christians. It's not even left to churches and church buildings. It is left to Christians who are bold and who stand up and who are willing to stop what is coming. And they're willing to save their neighbors and their brothers by the word of the cross that has been committed to their trust. Show who you are and uh, promote the law and the gospel all in one fell swoop by preaching the message of salvation. The message of salvation reveals the message of sin. The message of sin reveals the message of the law. And so I'm going to leave it there. I hope this has been encouraging. Hope it's been thought provoking. Um, I know uh, once again, i said this last week that uh, a lot of people maybe listen to me. They listen to um thoughts on different sides of things, and I, I would get back to that. I will get back to that uh, some, but there's just some some simple stuff that right now in this day and age I really think we need to uh think about and just put at the forefront of our minds. And that's more important to me right now than it is any depth of theology or any depth of um of subject study. To get that clear and on the table, so that anyone who can hear me can uh, realize where we are at this crossroads that we are soon to come upon. All right. So um, next time I've got a podcast, which will definitely be in two weeks coming up. So next Monday, with the Monday after that, that I will um, be having something else lined up for you. Till then. Everybody do it. CR 101 Radio Network, which we are broadcasting on, is a Christian Reconstruction Internet radio station that hosts and broadcasts lectures, sermons, and podcasts 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Please take a look at the website, cr101radio.com. Also, we are supported by GCS Apprenticeship Program, which is a training program dedicated to the next generation of Christian teachers, so they can be equipped to get involved with the inspirational task and honor of being a Christian teacher or even owning and operating their own Christian school see again gcsapprenticeship.com for more information